energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. Then it's Jazz with George Thomas on for one hour, but high school basketball comes on after that. 8 o'clock tonight, girls D2 semifinals at the Barry Auditorium. North Country and Harwood, Brent Curtis on the call. So we get the best of all worlds today. My show, full show. Jazz with George Thomas on at least for one hour. And then high school basketball with Brent Curtis. Again, the best of all worlds today. And we've got plenty to get to in that full 90 minutes. I do have some thoughts on the local high school sports scene. We will talk live with UVM women's basketball coach, Elisa Kresge. Her team wrapped up an incredible regular season. 14 consecutive wins, 14-2 and two inside league play. They finished off Bryant. They got the number one seed in the conference tournament. And uh, I also had to eat some crow this weekend. And uh, I got to own up to it and tell you the story of what went down. We'll do that over the course of the next 90 minutes as well. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also watch the show live on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. All right, so we are three official games into the Red Sox spring training schedule, and we have already seen the best and worst of the Major League Baseball pitch clock. So the Sox played the Braves on Saturday, the Rays yesterday, and they finished up with them. They finished off the Minnesota Twins today. That game was a little earlier. Three games in, we've seen the full range of outcomes on the pitch clock. We've seen the quicker game. I've seen box called that people don't understand why they're called box. We've heard, we've seen the height and pace. I've heard a lot of people talk positively about the change. We've seen more activity. But we've also seen the worst case scenario for a game as well. Saturday afternoon, I know a lot of you are not following spring training action. Saturday afternoon, Red Sox Braves tied at 6-6, bottom of the ninth inning. Braves are at bat, bases loaded, two outs, 3-2 count. This happens. And now what? He's out. Strike three called with the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. This is baseball in 2023. So the inning ends. The Braves' chance to win goes away, all because the batter wasn't ready to hit in the allotted time. 
And now this means absolutely nothing because it's February, but it will mean absolutely everything if this happens in April or in August or in September for a battle against playoff hopefuls. Okay, we've seen everything now. This is what I warned you was going to happen. This is what I told you was going to happen. You are going to see scenarios like that. Bases loaded, two outs, full two count, uh, uh, full count, three, two count. Chance to win the game on the line. And something like that is going to happen because of these new rules. Now, I like a lot of the new rules. I do. But I don't want to see game ends like game ends like that. Games end like that. I want to see games decided by baseball players doing baseball things. It's for that reason that I'm happy that Major League Baseball is coming down with the hammer in spring training. I don't care how many spring games end like that. I don't want to see regular season games end like that. So I'm happy these rules are being enforced. I don't want that to happen April 10th, March 31st, August 5th. And when your team misses the playoffs by a game and potentially has it be because of one of those calls, I don't want that. So get it all out now. I am liking a lot of these rules. I don't want to see it affect the regular season. Affect the spring all you want, but that was wild. I don't want to see that come regular season time. I mean, for a set for a game to be decided on a pitch that wasn't even thrown, it's nuts. And I don't want to see it affect things in the regular season. It is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Kind of a couple of texts coming in early here. Scott over in Benson, he says, Brady, do you like the pitch clock? That that was sent kind of a few minutes ago before I said that I, you know, I'm generally liking things. Um I'm generally liking all the new rules and I know I can get used to the pitch clock, but I have to say this, I can get used to the pitch clock. And I think I'm realizing my issue was never really with the pitch clock. My issue all along was about how this information was all presented to us. Does that make sense? I railed on the pitch clock for a long time. If you listen to me at my old place of business, I was very much against the pitch clock. And now a couple games into the spring, I'm telling you that I like it. Well, why? Because I didn't like, I don't, I don't like the packaging around what we were told forever. Like if you go back several years, we were told that the pitch clock was going to improve the time of the game, the length of game. I hated that. And I always pushed back on that. I really don't care how long the game is, as long as the game is good. Forever, we were told uh, the game is too long. We need to make it shorter. I, I didn't buy that. My biggest battle was that the game needed more action. So when people said, oh, it's the time of game, it's the length of game, I said, uh-uh, it's the lack of action in the game that is the problem. Had the pitch clock been sold to us as a device to help the action in the game, I probably would have been all in it, all in on it from the beginning. And that is what I think it's actually doing. 
The pitch clock, I believe, is giving baseball the action that it needs, coupled with the other rules, but it's giving baseball the action that it needs, and that's why I'm okay with it. But it was never presented to us that way, which is the reason I was always against it. Everybody said, oh, the game's three and a half hours. It's too long. It's too long. My attention span. I didn't. Ca- I don't care about your attention span. That never bothered me. What bothered me was the lack of action in the game, the lack of offense, the too dominant of pitching, the time between you know balls being put in play because the pitching was so good. Now at least we're getting baseball players doing baseball things more often. It always should have been presented as a way to help the action in the game and to spur action. I'm now getting... Pitches thrown quickly, more swings taken early, chance for a ball to be put in play, athletic players doing athletic things, defenders making rangy plays, more of it. Offensive players now with more chances to get extra bases, doubles, triples, etc. More stolen bases. This is what we want to see as baseball fans. And this is what I think the pitch clock is now allowing for us. So, yeah, I like the pitch clock now. In a way, I never thought I would, but it also was never framed to us in that way. Again, I don't want to see the pitch clock decide games. So I hope that all of this happens here in the spring. I really hope all of this happens in the spring. Uh, I And look, the feedback on the pitch clock has been largely good. It has been largely good. And it was interesting, though, Alex Cora had this to say earlier today, and and it's a little long. I can't play all, you know, 90 seconds of it. But what Cora had to say about the rules were pretty, they were interesting. Listen to this. It's been great. It's been great. Um, I love it, to be honest with you. Why I say that? Because uh, I want to be home in sooner rather than later. Yeah. I think it's a better product for the fan base, for the fans. Uh, you know, I can tell you from experience right now with my kids. You know, they're playing soccer, they're playing baseball, they're doing gymnastics, and in order is one A, one B, three, and it's baseball, and they love it, they like it, but they take ground balls, and then you go in the back of the line and. It takes forever. You know, I hate to say it because, uh, you know, I, I want them to, to love the game. They love it, whatever, but I would love them to play it. But this is where we at, you know, and there's force out there that you know, they're, they're more fun because there's not that time, you know. Uh, when they go to the soccer practice, it's nonstop. When they go to gymnastics, imagine jumping around all, all over the place and doing all that stuff. And then when you go to the baseball practice, it's hitting, it's you know, filled in, but there's a lot of that, that time. And All right, so that was Alex Cora saying he loved the new rules and then providing anecdotal evidence about how his kids like baseball, but they like sports also that have more action. Now, I'll say this. I think there's some truth to what Alex Cora is saying, but I also think there's some stuff I don't entirely agree with. All right? Let's kind of just go step by step here. Baseball having more action, which I have just outlined will happen. Baseball having more action will make the game more watchable and more digestible for young people. That I believe is true, right? Eight-year-old can watch more of a game with his family before he has to go to bed, 
right? Game starts at seven o'clock. Eight-year-old has to go to bed at nine. He can now get through seven innings instead of four innings, right? And the game has more stuff happening and that kid is engaged in it longer. So kids, I do believe with the quicker game and a more action-packed game can watch more baseball and can see more baseball being played. And if they see that, then they will be more inclined to want to play baseball. I believe that is true. If they enjoy watching the game, they will want to do the activity. So I think in in that respect, Alex Cora is right. These new rules create more action, which makes the game more watchable and more likable for young people. I believe that's true. A more watchable product helps. But here's where I disagree with Cora. The game being more watchable or, or the game being played at a faster pace at the major league level, that doesn't mean that Alex Cora's kids won't be bored at baseball practice, right? The game can be really fun at the major league level. That doesn't necessarily translate to your kids' youth league. Okay, baseball at the youth level is slow. It is a lot of standing around. It's not basketball or hockey or soccer or lacrosse that are kind of just we're all going to run around or skate around ants to a gumball style. That's why those sports are so fun for kids. It's constant movement. Baseball is not like that, especially at the youth level. So just because the game gets better at the major league level doesn't mean that your kids practice is going to be more fun. Then I would challenge youth coaches to make that baseball practice more fun. Cora talks about his kids having a ground ball back of the line. Find a way to make your practice more fun then. Right? Like find I, that would I would put that on the coaches. So Major League Baseball getting better to watch will help kids like the sport. But if the sport is not fun for them in practice, a lot of that is probably what their coaches are or are not doing. Um, and like it works the other way, too. I don't think soccer is all that great to watch, right? In my mind, soccer is boring to watch. But I think playing soccer would be far more fun, right? Constantly, you're constantly moving. I don't think lacrosse is all that fun to watch. Lacrosse playing would be fun. Constant movement. There's a physicality. There's an athleticism to it that doesn't always translate on your television or your computer screen. So, a sport that's great to watch doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be fun for your kid to play. And a sport that's not fun to watch might be really fun for your kid to play like soccer or lacrosse. So I, I agree with what Cora is saying to a degree, but not always. I mean, really to me, the big issue for baseball is the same issue that it's always had. It needs to become more marketable to kids, right? When I was growing up in the nineties, baseball was cool. Why? Ken Griffey jr. Is one. Randy Johnson, who threw really hard and was really tall and was different and an outlier, that was one. Mark McGuire, who could hit the ball really far, that was one. Sammy Sosa, Barry, but the Chicks Dig the Long Ball campaign. Baseball had really good marketability in the 90s. That's what baseball has lacked recently for a while now. So what baseball needs to do is take this new amount of action, right? Oh, at the rule changes are at the core of this. Rule changes make the game have more action. With that action needs to become needs to come better marketing. That will help grow the game as well. Okay, 
More doubles, more triples, more guys stealing bases, more guys beating out infield hits, more guys doing athletic things, more diving plays, more good catches, more this, more that. That stuff needs to be digested and spit out by baseball and given to kids. That, to me, has always been the problem. Baseball doesn't market that well. Okay, Griffey made the game cool. Randy Johnson was a talking point. Barry Bonds was a talking point. The other thing about baseball that's, I think, become a problem, and hopefully this will all help alleviate, is that a lot of the baseball players have become the same. So it's harder to market guys when everybody can do that. Like when Randy Johnson was playing in the 90s, I don't remember too many guys like him that could strike everybody out and were pure filth. Randy Johnson stood out above the crowd. He was easy to market because he was different. Now, every pitcher is the same. They all throw 100. They all have great breaking stuff. They can all strike out everybody. Harder to find a Randy Johnson when everybody can do that. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, pre-steroids, were easy to market. They could hit the ball really far. Not everybody could. Now everybody hits the ball far. Everybody homers. It's not as fun to market the home run because everybody can do it. Baseball needs to hope that this new that these new rules and this more action will create guys that can do different things and can be marketable to kids. So I agree with Cora that the game being better to watch is a good way to get kid and youth interest, but it's not necessarily going to make your kids practice better. A bunch of texts coming in. 802-585-3026. Joe says the new rules are a joke. The way the game, the Braves and Red Sox game ended was a joke. Joe, I think you need to fight your urge to be mad about this. Number one is a spring training game. You don't care about it. Neither do I. Okay. You, you don't care about it. Neither do I. So that's first and foremost. If the game ended like this in August, you would care about it. So would I, but then I would sit back and say, you've had six months to adjust. And that is now a you problem, right? These rules will not be new by August. These rules will not be new by September. Um, so I, I just think, I think ultimately the new rules are good. You have to get more action in the game. You have to get more action in the game. Ray says uh, things are way different now in baseball. Yes, they are. Um, Phil in Middlesex says, I'm watching the Red Sox game today, and I found that I enjoyed not seeing the shift. This is all part of the same thing. I, I agree with, with Phil. The rule changes that are happening this year are all part of the same initiative. Getting baseball more action. That's it. That's what this is all about. And that's what it always should have been about. Everybody who said anything about length of game, you lost me when you talked like that. If you talked about action in the game, you would have had me at hello. That's what these rules are now designed to do. And that is why I like them. I loved that baseball wasn't played on a clock. I did. But I also love when baseball gets played. And we haven't seen enough baseball being played for the last decade. Okay, we've lost the stolen base. We've lost the bunt. We've lost hitting for contact. Everything has become, you know, computer generated 
outcome oriented and a homer, a walk or a strikeout. And that's not as fun to watch. Even me who loves the sport more than anybody, I found it harder to watch. I found myself getting more bored during baseball games, even involving the Mariners who I love or the Red Sox who I cover and really like. The pitch clock gets more urgency, gets more action. The lack of shifting gets more balls in play. I saw a ball hit today. I think it was by Max Kepler of the Twins against the Red Sox. That was a hard hit ball, a single to right. And you know what? It was a single to right instead of a second baseman playing in short right field there to catch it. Balls that were hit for 100 years should be hits. And they're hits again. And that makes me happy. And Joe on the text line and other people out there might be purists. And I don't, don't change my sport. I can, I love the game too. I consider myself to be a purist for a long time, but you know what? The NBA regulates where you can stand defensively. You can't play zone really in the NBA because there's defensive three seconds. You can't do anything defensively in the NFL. Practically hockey changes where you can stand and where you can play defense. I'm okay with baseball having a regulation on where you can stand as well. Now, I don't want baseball to turn into everything being 14-13 because that's what we've got the equivalent of in the NBA. I wish the NBA would allow you to do more things on defense. Okay, I don't enjoy 176 to 175 in the NBA. I don't enjoy every night being 130 to 127. The NBA, I think, needs to find a balance between the uh, 91, 88 of the 90s and 140 to 137 of today. The NBA, I think, needs to bring defense back a little bit. Baseball, I don't think, is going to have that problem. The pitching is still so good. We will get plenty of one nothing games under this scenario. But we might also get some 8-7 games, which we haven't had a lot of. So the new rules are all designed about getting action. And it should have always been about action. The, the pace of play stuff or the time of game stuff always bothered me. And another reason why it always bothered me was I don't care how long the game is if the game is good. And neither do you. And you know that's true. NFL games are three and a half hours. You don't care, right? You don't care. If the game is good, you don't care. College football, if the game is good, you don't care how long it is. Tennis match, some of the best tennis matches ever, five hours long. But when the when the match is awesome, you don't care. Some of you will post up and watch golf all Sunday, 10 hours, and you'll tell me it's the best thing ever. So how long something is, is not an issue. It's how entertaining that thing is. And baseball hasn't been entertaining enough for a while. And these rules are now designed to help it get more entertaining. And therefore, I'm okay with it. Uh, all right. 802-585-3026. Lou over in Waterbury. Brady, you mentioned on Friday you were watching the Mariners game and you noticed the big pitch clock and you said you found it kind of disruptive. I didn't notice a clock at all today in the Red Sox game. What is going on? That is an interesting point, and it's a good one. On Friday, I did watch the Mariners' first spring training game and they were playing the Padres. And I did come on the air and tell you that the clock 
at that ballpark was extremely big. It was extremely visible. And I found myself watching the clock as much or more than watching the game. But I did say it was disruptive. Well, today I'm watching the Red Sox and it's at jet blue and the clock wasn't at all in our sight lines. And then I watched the White Sox game for a little bit today and I watched the Cubs game for a little bit today and I couldn't see the pitch clocks there either. So clearly every spring training site is different. That's that's first and foremost. Every spring training site is different. What we have to find out is what exactly are these clocks going to look like in major league stadiums. Now I saw Jeff Passon tweet out earlier that the plan is for these clocks to not be visible on our television broadcasts. That would be a huge win for the consumer. Because that Mariners-Padres game, the clock was present, and it was massive, and it was distracting. If Passon says the clock is not going to be visible from the center field camera that we see on television, I'm all for it. Let the players see it. Let the batters see it. I don't need to see it. That would be a great win for us. What I will then find interesting is how do broadcast teams handle it on their own? Because... I told you, I flipped around a bunch of different games today. The White Sox broadcast for spring training had the pitch clock on their scoreboard. The Cubs had the pitch clock on their scoreboard, kind of like the shot clock in basketball, kind of like the play clock in football. The Cubs had it smaller like the shot clock. The White Sox had it bigger looking like the play clock. The Red Sox didn't put it at all on the scoreboard. If you watch the Red Sox game today, you would have had no idea they were playing with these rules. The clock wasn't visible behind home plate. The clock wasn't visible in the scoreboard either. So when we have Tom Karen on on Wednesday, I'm going to ask him what Nesson's plans are. Are they going to show the pitch clock in the broadcast? I'd like to see it, but I'd like it to be small like the shot clock. I don't need to see it like I saw it in that Mariners game, though. Uh, all right, a couple more texts. Wow, you guys are Red Sox happy today. I haven't even taken a commercial break like I was supposed to. 802-585-3026. Zach says, Brady, how about the random balk that was called today? I don't think I get this new rule. Yeah, this is probably the rule I think that's going to cause the most issue. And this is the rule that I get but I do think will be the hardest for people to understand. This is called the disengagement rule. And follow me here for a second. A pitcher is only allowed to disengage from the rubber twice in an at-bat. So the throwing over to, to a base, that's a disengagement. Stepping off the mound because you've got a bug in your eye or stepping off the mound because Uh, you're uncomfortable stepping off the mound because you're about to run out of time, stepping off the mound because you've messed up the sign. All of that counts as a disengagement. So you only get two disengagements per at-bat. Then if you disengage a third time, you have to pick the guy off. So let's, let's play a scenario here. Guy throws over twice. Well, now the batter knows the guy has disengaged twice and the the runner takes a giant lead. The pitcher can throw over that third time. And if he gets him out, then he's good. But if he's safe, that would technically be his third disengagement and he's, and the guy would, it would be a balk. Uh, 
So that's what happened today. Red Sox pitcher was a lefty. He threw over to first. That's one disengagement. Second disengagement, he just stepped off the rubber. And then the third disengagement, I think he stepped off the rubber again because he messed up the sign, and that was a balk. If you're going to disengage that third time, you got to pick him off or else it's a balk, and that's what happened. And that is going to be tough for pitchers to break. Right? That's going to be tough for pitchers to break because – I've always been a guy who would step off the rubber. Hey, repeat the sign. Hey, my pitch comm's not working. Hey, this, that, or the other. It's going to be tougher. Um, all right, one more text. This one's from Zach in uh, – this one's from Max in Burlington. He goes, Brady, aside from the pitch clock, what do you think are the biggest storylines for the first couple of days of Red Sox spring training? Well, Jaron Duran's playing really well. He had a, a homer and a double today and is playing good defense in center field. I don't know if he's going to make this team, but he's got a chance to make this team. I mean, you look at the Red Sox now, their four outfielders pretend to be Yoshida, Verdugo, Duvall, and Rob Refsnyder. Can Duvall or can Duran get into that club? I don't know, but he's playing very well early. And then he's going to go to the World Baseball Classic, and we'll see what happens to his stock. Two, Garrett Whitlock is hurt. He's still coming off that hip surgery. He's not ready to pitch in games yet, and he might not be ready for opening day. So we talk about a six-man rotation. Well, injuries are going to solve that right away. Whitlock might not be ready for the opener. And then finally, where Yoshida hits in the order. It looks like he very well might be a cleanup hitter. He's hit cleanup. I believe in two of the three actual spring training games the Red Sox have had. We were told he was going to be a leadoff hitter, or we thought he was going to be a leadoff hitter, but now he might be a middle-of-the-order bat. So that's an interesting development as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. CBS News update. And then I'll tell you, this business forces you to have opinions. It also forces you to be accountable. I got to eat some crow from over the weekend. That's next on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Parker Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Remember, Jazz with George Thomas comes up at 7 o'clock, and then at 8 o'clock, it's high school basketball tonight. Girls 2 Division uh, girls division two semifinal, it's at the Berry Auditorium. North Country, the num- number one seed, Harwood, the number four. Our coverage at 8, the tip-off with Brent Curtis on the call is 8.15. At about 6.30 today, we're going to have Elisa Kresge on. She's the head coach of the UVM women's basketball team. The Catamounts, the number one seed in the upcoming America East Conference tournament. I had to eat some crow this weekend, and it's time to own up to it. Here's what happened. So, the UVM men's basketball team beat Bryant over the weekend, right? And Nick Fiorillo played in that game. Nick Fiorillo has not played since... November has not played since the Thanksgiving tournament in the Bahamas. So it's been about three months. Nick Fiorillo came off the bench. Nick Fiorillo had six points in 11 minutes of action. And uh, Fiorillo played well. He was two of six from the floor, but he had a stretch where I think he scored six points in about three minutes. Like he was a big part 
of a stretch where UVM played well and ends up, they don't, they have a harder time winning that game without his contribution. So Nick Fiorillo played 11 minutes, scored six points in a game UVM, you know, it didn't really matter. They'd already wrapped up the number one seed, but you're against their rivals. They're on the road. It was a tough matchup. Fiorillo came into the game and played well. Anyways, when the game was over, I got a notification on Twitter and it said, Nick Fiorillo has liked your tweet. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Guys will sometimes like my tweets. And I went back and looked, what is the tweet that Nick Fiorillo liked? And it was a tweet that I had put out on February 14th, right? So someone said on social media, Nick Fiorillo is, is, is healthy enough and he's going to be able to play again this season. And I said, this is good news, but don't expect him to factor into anything for this team down the stretch. Could he get into a game? Maybe. But this team is looking to win the league and get back to the NCAA tournament. It's not the time to play guys who haven't had any run in three months. So that's what I said. Fiorillo was cleared, to, you know, was getting healthier. I said, that's great, but don't expect him to do anything. Nick Fiorillo, after he played well, went out, found that tweet, liked it as probably a, uh, you know, motivation for him. I motivated him or, or he wanted to stick it to me. And I don't mean in a bad way, but in a way like, Hey, I saw what you said. I saw you thought that I wasn't going to do anything. I'm here to tell you that I can. And that I did. I'm here to eat some crow today. Nick Fiorillo. He won that one. And I'm glad he did, right? Like, this is not one of those ones where I'm looking at it as confrontational or adversarial. I am glad that Nick Fiorillo proved me wrong. I want this team to win the league. I want this team to get to the NCAA tournament. And as many useful pieces as they can find, I want them to have. It's that simple. I want UVM to win. I am a UVM fan. And the more good players they have that, that can contribute, the better. So I said Nick Fiorillo probably wouldn't contribute. He did. And he noticed that I said that. And he had a right to stick it back to me a little bit. That's the way this works. Okay? This business, my business, requires you to have opinions. It requires you to, be, to stand on your opinions. But it also requires you to be accountable. This is not just a free-for-all where I get to say whatever I want and be unchecked about it. If Nick Fiorillo sees my tweet that says he's not going to do anything and he goes out and does something, he deserves to let me know about it. That's how this works. And I'm more than okay with that. I had an opinion. I didn't think Nick Fiorillo was going to play much into the end of this season. Well, he played 11 minutes. He had six points. He had six crucial points against Bryant. He deserves to have a little to have a little haha moment about it. Now, as for the rest of the season, I will be interested to see how Nick Fiorello gets used, but I certainly think he can play a role. And I didn't think he was going to. So I will I will have to admit there that I was wrong. John Becker showed me he had faith in Nick Fiorello to put him in there despite three months off. Nick Fiorillo is good enough to step on the court after three months and contribute. Does Nick Fiorillo come out in the America East championship game and score 30? Probably not. Does he play enough minutes to score 30? Probably not. But can he be a part of this thing? Yes, he can. Right. The game tomorrow against you, Albany is completely meaningless. You Albany is 
either the last team in the conference or they're in ninth, I think, right now, but they're battling for maybe the eighth seed in the tournament. UVM's already clinched the one. They've already clinched home court advantage. So the game means absolutely nothing. Nick Fiorillo can can play a lot tomorrow. And that can do a couple of different things. One, it can get him going to prove that he can play more in the conference tournament. Or it can just be a way to get guys more rest that have played a lot of minutes this season, both of which would be serving the cause. If Nick Fiorillo plays 18 minutes tomorrow, so Finn Sullivan doesn't have to, that's a win for UVM. If Nick Fiorillo plays 18 minutes tomorrow for Nick Fiorillo and scores 14, that's a win for UVM. When the conference tournament comes around, I am for UVM having as many useful parts as they can. And if Nick Fiorillo can be one of them, which I think he's proven that he can, I'm all for it. And if he plays for seven minutes in a conference tournament game and gives somebody a blow and scores four points, that's a contribution. If Nick Fiorillo plays 27 minutes and scores 20 points, that's a contribution. I don't know what his level of involvement will be in the conference tournament, but he has shown me that he can have one when I tweeted that he couldn't. So look, that is how this business works. This business forces you to have strong opinions and it forces you to come up with predictions and to say things and to read the room. And from what I was thinking at the time, UVM's trying to win the league. You, you can't be messing around with guys that haven't played in forever. Nick Fiorillo, to his credit, showed me that they can and that he could be a part of this thing. He'll be a part of it tomorrow. Beyond that, I don't know, but he just may factor in here in a way that I didn't think he could. And yeah, he likes the tweet, lets me know that he saw it. That, that's, as far as I'm concerned, all in good fun. And he deserves it because... He won that battle, and I'm glad he did because I'm rooting for the Catamounts. When you bring back a starting caliber player into your lineup, that can help. I'm all for it. Now I look at the UVM, and I say they've got really nine guys they can go to in the conference tournament. I want them to win this thing. They've got their five starters, and then they've got Aaron Deloney, who is probably going to be sixth man of the year in the conference again, Fiorillo, Aliri uh, Iofalia, and TJ Hurley. They've now got nine players that can see the court in a tournament scenario. I'm all for it. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. As for the game itself, UVM won 70 to 66 in that one. The Cats are 19 and 10. They're 13 and 2 in the league. Bryant is 17 and 11, 8 and 7 in the conference. Shout out to Matt Verretto in this win. Dylan Penn maneuvers his way forward for Deloney. He attacks to Verretto. Right wing three on the way. He drills it again. Matt Verretto has 15. Verretto finished the day with a team high 20 points. He was awesome. And Matt Verretto has been a revelation for this team. 20 points, four rebounds, four of six from three, seven of 12 from the floor. I mean, what's not to love here? This is a great story. And if UVM makes the tournament, this will be a story that gets told on CBS on Selection Sunday. This is a great story, but it's so much more than that. Right? We had Veretto on last week, I think, or maybe it was two weeks ago. And I told him that. Like, this is a great story, but it's much more than that. Matt Veretto didn't play basketball for three years. 
has been at three different schools. He did not play college basketball for three years, and here he is contributing to a team that very well might make the NCAA tournament, leading a team in scoring in a game against what was supposed to be your biggest preseason rival. And the Cats would be nothing without, would be nowhere without Veretto. Right? There's a lot of guys contributing, right? They'd be nowhere without Robin Duncan. They'd be nowhere without Dylan Penn. They'd be nowhere without Finn Sullivan. They'd be nowhere without Veretto, too. 20 points? This guy didn't play basketball for three years, and here he is leading your team in scoring. And I look at Veretto right now for the last couple of games, like he's had double figures one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in conference play. Right, the UVM has played 15 conference games. Matt Verretto has had double figures in nine of them. Consistent, unexpected. This isn't just a great story. This is a great. This is a very good player for this team, and they needed him because Dylan Penn had 11 against uh, uh, against Bryant, and Penn or uh, Penn had 11, and Finn Sullivan didn't play as much. He only had eight points. So the usual suspects didn't do the heavy lifting. Matt Ferretto did. And that was great to see. I didn't watch any of the game. I listened to the entire game. I had to do a lot of traveling this weekend. I was in the car all weekend long. So I listened to the whole thing. Ferretto was clutch. And his ability to hit the three has been clutch all year. You know, four of six. I look at him for the year. He is 41% from three. For a team that couldn't shoot most of the early season, Barreto's been a guy that can hit some shots, and he has been really, really good. Um, by the way, on Bryant, I take I don't really like gloating about uh, you know college kid struggles, but I will say this: for everybody who told me how great Bryant was, and for everyone who said they were going to come in and dominate the conference, they're eight and seven in the league. They, they, they are absolutely dangerous. They could come out in the conference final and they could beat UVM. That is true. They have enough offense and a couple of really good players. They could beat UVM. But for everybody who told me they were going to run away with this thing, that hasn't happened. Eight and seven inside league play. Eight and seven. And I mean, you look at they've lost three of their last four. You know, they had gaudy preseason numbers, but when you're beating up on D3 Thomas College and playing against Maine Fort Kent on your schedule, I'm a little less impressed. And, you know, I didn't think they were going to be 8-7. and I didn't think they were going to be that mediocre in league play. I thought they were going to be really good, but they're not as good as I thought they were going to be, and they're not as good as a lot of you thought they were going to be as well. Um... All right. Uh, let me see here. By the way, your quick check of the America East standings look like this. UVM is locked into the one seed. UMass Lowell is locked into the two seed. Bryant, New Hampshire, and Binghamton are all tied at eight and seven, battling it out for the three seed. I don't know how all this goes when it comes to the uh, tiebreakers, but 
I want to see Bryant get the full get the three seed. I want to see Bryant get the three seed because I don't want to see them uh, until the conference final. Like in a perfect world, UVM would play the four seed in the semifinals. That's who I'd, I'd want to see New Hampshire or Binghamton. I don't want to see Bryant because they do have the ability to be dangerous. Might not be as good as we thought, but they could still win a game on any given day with their offense. Uh, we will talk with UVM women's coach Elisa Kresge here in a little while. A little bit of breaking news out of the Major League Baseball front. Uh, nothing that involves the Red Sox, but Tyler Glasnow, one of the raised top starters, obviously a divisional rival with the Red Sox, sustained an oblique injury during a BP session today. MRI coming tomorrow, but seems certain to miss time. That's not good news. I feel bad when guys get hurt. If you are a Red Sox fan, though, looking for things about, you know, how things affect your team. Well, that's one of the Rays top pitchers coming back fully healthy from Tommy John surgery now set to, I'm sure, not be ready for opening day because, you know, you don't get a chance to get the ramp up going. They probably won't be ready in time for the season. So Red Sox might be able to steal a couple of things early here if the Rays come out of the gates slow. Uh, all right, I do want to get to who's saying what, though. Let's do that uh, here. Again, UVM women's basketball coach Elisa Kresge in about 10 minutes. I do have time, though, to get to this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? What is he doing? He's stealing money. What the hell is he doing? He should have gotten you. his surgery. They were out of it in August. Why did they get the surgery done in August? He could have played beginning of the year. Preacher. That's a joke with him. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, who's saying what here on DEV? I want to take you back to Saturday night. So the Celtics had a come from behind victory. I was watching a lot of that game. My travels were over by the time that game was going on. Celtics beat the Sixers. Good come from behind victory. After the game, Jalen Brown talked about the Philly crowd. I started talking to you know, one of the fans because it got a little bit excessive where it got a little disrespectful, you know, and stuff like that. Even before the game, I was entering the arena, you know, there's people saying, I hope you tear your ACL. Like, you know, and it's just, I understand people care and they love, you know, the team that they cheer for, but I don't think it gets a little excessive at times. I, these people are jokes. These people are jokes. And Philly fans have the rep of being great fans and they're, yeah, they're harsh and they booed Santa Claus and, but that makes them tough. I have no time for people like this. I have no time for people, for people like this in my life. And I have no time for people like this in sports. And it's not just Philly. It happens here. It happens there. It happens everywhere. There's people like that in Boston and fans in new England as well. I have no time for you. If you are a person who goes to a game and wishes injury upon a player, you are a scumbag and I don't want to associate with you. It is that simple. And I don't care if you're at a Red Sox game or a Bruins game, a Celtics game or Patriots game, or you're in Philly or you're in New York or any of these other places that are deemed to have great, but tough crowds. You are not a great fan. If you're wishing injury upon somebody, if you are a fan that sent high and bloom said he's gotten death threats from Red Sox fans. If you do that, you are not a great fan. You are a chump and you are a loser. If you are, I went to a game in Jacksonville a couple of years ago, Seahawks Jaguars, right? Jess and I went together. 
Quentin Jefferson of the Seahawks defensive lineman got ejected from the game for something that happened on the field. As he's running off the field, got beer thrown on him by a fan. If you do that kind of stuff, you are a clown. And you do not belong in our sporting events. Again, Philly gets this badge like they wear this like, hey, we're all scumbags, but it's Philly. It's tough to play. You're not. It's not a badge. You're just a chump. And you're you. I want nothing to do with you. And I want nothing to do with you in life. If you are a person that wishes bad upon people you've never met for no reason, then I want nothing to do with you. Absolutely nothing to do with you. I mean, Jalen Brown deserves better than that. Everybody in the NBA deserves better than that. I am all for taunting as a fan. I'm all for waving your arms when somebody's at the free throw line. I'm all for you saying, hey, Jalen, you couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Or, hey, Jalen, what about game six in the finals? Or, hey, Jalen, nice choke job against the Warriors. I, I'm fine with all of that. But when you become personal about somebody's family or somebody's health, you're an idiot. And frankly, I would have you banned from the stadium for life if I ever heard you talking like that. That's what I would. I do not want to be around these people. I mean, Jalen Brown shouldn't have to deal with that. The Celtics shouldn't have to deal with that. Pro athletes shouldn't have to deal with that. They are there to play a game they love. They are there to provide entertainment to us. And our job should be to enjoy that entertainment, support them, and then say the appropriate things when the time calls for it. Right, I get it. It's not all going to be kittens and sunshine. You don't boo the other team, boo the other team. You want to tell a guy that he you know, went 0 for 10 in the NBA Finals Game 7? Go ahead and do that, too. You want to tell a guy that he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat? Go do that, too. I don't care. But do not be somebody that wishes somebody to tear their ACL. I see that stuff on Twitter every day. I see that stuff on social media, I see that apparently that stuff's being said in the building. No, no interest in being around you. You're not a great fan. You are just a jerk. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. There also is one other interesting thing I just want to get to quickly. We've talked a lot this year about Jason Tatum's workload in the regular season for the Celtics, and he had another big workload on Saturday night, hitting that game-winning three against Philly. Well, Joe Missoula, his head coach, was talking about the idea of Tatum maybe playing less as the season goes on. You know, like I said, it just goes back to whatever the game needs, and obviously understanding there will be times for rest. Uh, but, the, you know, I think – what we have to shift our focus towards is the guy loves to play basketball and he really takes care of himself physically, mentally, and emotionally and uh, takes pride in being a professional. And so um, there are moments, you know, to where rest is important, but um, I appreciate the fact, you know, really him, Jalen, smart, all our guys, you know, when they're healthy, they love to play. And so I think we, I like to focus on that aspect uh, more than anything else. You know, it's really interesting. On one hand, the league is being criticized for having load management for guys not playing enough. On the other hand, Jason Tatum's playing every game and the Celtics are being criticized for running him into the ground. Which way do people want it? Like what is the happy medium here? Because 
I see LeBron sit out. I see Kyrie sit out. I see Damian Lillard sit out. I see, Ky- I see people sit out, and they are crushed for being soft. Back in my day, this never would have happened. My NBA, they didn't sit. Tatum's playing every game, and we're wondering when's he going to start sitting. Why are they not playing? Why are they playing him so much, man? They're running this guy into the ground. What do you people want? Do you want an NBA where the stars take off 30 games a year and then are fresh for the playoffs? Or do you want an NBA where the star plays every game and has a chance at wearing down in the playoffs? Which one do you want? Because you can't have it both ways. If you're mad at Kyrie and if you're mad at Lillard and you're mad at LeBron, then don't be mad at Tatum for playing all the time. And if you're mad at Tatum for playing all the time, then don't be mad at them for taking time off. I've told you from the start, I do think there is a happy medium there. I believe that load management should be okay. I just don't believe it should be as excessive as it is. If Jason Tatum played played 70 games and sat out 12 for load management, I'd be fine. Right? If you know, a major league baseball equivalent is, you know, 70 uh, 140 of 162, I'm fine with that. Jason Tatum wants to play 72 and sit 10, I'm good with that. But don't get on the guy who plays every game and then tell me the rest of the guys who don't play every game are the problem. Like, you can't have it both ways. If you want Tatum to sit, be okay with everybody else sitting. If you want those guys to play, then then be okay with Tatum playing. I just think there should be a happy medium where a guy, you know, where stars can sit out 10 to 12 games a year without being crushed for it. But don't be sitting out 30. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The UVM women's basketball team has the number one seed in the America East Conference Tournament. They got it by virtue of beating Bryant on Saturday and got a little help as well from the University of Maine. Their head coach, Elisa Kresge, is going to be with us next as we start to get ready for the conference tournament and a chance for the Cats maybe to get to the big dance. We'll do it next on DEV. Stories of the day, text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM WDEV radio.com. Lisa Kresge going to be with us momentarily here. Got an interesting phone call a, a few minutes ago in that commercial break. And I bring this up not to um, disparage the caller. I just bring this up because I thought it was an interesting call, right? That break was three and a half minutes long. That caller and I talked conversationally throughout the entire time. And he said, Brady, I like your show. And I thank you very much. I appreciate that. But he said, Brady, I think sometimes you're too negative. And he said, Brady, I think sometimes you talk about yourself too much. Hmm. Well, one, do I think I'm too negative? I can be negative, right? All of sports media can be negative. That's true. Can I be too negative? Well, the Patriots went eight and nine. I don't know, you know. How positive are we going to be about an eight and nine Patriots team? Now the Patriots had good moments, and when they had good moments, we talked about them. Marcus Jones was excellent this year. 
The defense was excellent at times. Matt Judon was excellent. So for as frustrating as they were, and overall they're a negative tone, there were positives, and I feel like we addressed them properly. The Red Sox finished in last place last year, and they didn't do enough this offseason to make me seem like they're going to be in first place this year. I do think the Red Sox will be better if they stay healthy than we think they will. Now, I don't know if they'll stay healthy. They have massive injury concerns. But if they stay healthy, they will be better than we think, and I think I have said that as well. Celtics are, you know, they are awesome right now. And I think we have done that appropriately. And then as far as the Bruins go, I don't talk a lot of hockey. Obviously they're excellent. There's really nothing negative to say about them. Um, And certainly not for me who isn't as in bed with that sport. UVM men and women's basketball. I think um, I just think I tell the truth on Right, UVM women have been great. They've been a revelation. They've been a surprise. And they're 14 and 2. And we're about to have their head coach on. I think that's positive. UVM men, they started out the season two and seven. So when they were two and seven, I was telling you the truth. And now that they're 19 and 10, I also think I'm telling you the truth that you should be excited about what they're doing. And it's been a good turnaround. And the caller said that I talk about myself a lot. And I probably do, but I just want people to know this one, all I can do, I'm not a mind reader, right? All I can do is tell you what I am thinking. And all I can do is tell you my own personal experiences that have shaped the way that I think. So if I tell you about dealing with a player or dealing with an athlete, I can tell you, look, I've been an athlete. I can tell you that I've been a coach. I can tell you I've been a recruiter. So I have done a lot of these things. Does it mean I did them for incredibly long periods of time? No. Does it mean that I did them better than anybody else? Also no. But I've had the experiences in the same way that if I needed something done in my house, I would be going and talking to the plumber or I would be going and talking to this person or that person. We talk about politics, right? I've never been a senator, but if I want to know things, I'm going to go and talk to a guy who has been a senator. All I can do is give you my opinion based on my own experiences, and that will give you the context to why I think what I think. This business is about predictions and opinion and analysis and conversation. And I'm going to say things that generate conversation, some of which you will agree with, some of which you won't, And then you'll text in and tell me when you don't agree, and we'll have fun with that. And at the end of the day, this is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be about malice. It's not supposed to be – it can be argumentative, but it's generally argumentative in a good-natured way. The texter said, I was too negative for Vermont. I think I'm – to be honest with you, this is what I think. I think I'm giving something that Vermont has needed for a long time. And whether I was doing it or somebody else was doing it, I think Vermont deserves a show like this. I'm not vain enough to think I'm the only one that can do this, right? There's a lot of people, I'm sure, that could host a show in some version like this. But I think Vermont deserves to have have a seat at the table. Okay, I am tired of Vermont being thought of as Boston's table scraps. 
right? That that's what I'm tired of. Oh, Vermont is just you know it's in New England and everything is like boss you know Boston proper. Uh, Vermont deserves its own conversation, and that's that's what I've been trying to do, and that's what I wanted. I'm not trying to be the New Yorker who comes to town, the Flatlander who comes to town and pisses everybody off. I'm trying to give Vermont a seat at the table because I think Vermont deserves it. This is a great sports state. And you deserve to have the same conversation about UVM men's basketball that they're having in Raleigh about Duke basketball. And you deserve to talk about the Patriots here in the same way they're talking about them in Boston. And by the way, I can tell you from experience, I'm a hell of a lot more positive about the Patriots than they are in Boston. Trust me on that one. And let's also just call a spade a spade. I don't have a producer who has a microphone who can talk to me. And I don't have the ability to take phone calls because of that. And I don't have a co-host. So when I talk about me, 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 I'm the only one in here who can talk. So you're going to hear a lot of my opinion. If we had somebody else in here, you'd hear their opinion too. So just that the, the call was a good call. And I've always said this. If somebody has takes the time to email me or call me, positively or negatively, that means they care. Radio needs more listeners like that. Okay, I got an email last week from a guy who said something to me. It was a long email. He took the time to do it. Probably took him 20 minutes to write that email. I responded to it. Like, I'm not going to blow you off or be mad about it. A lot of people every day tell me they love the show. That guy calls in and has a couple complaints. That He's allowed. And now I'm bringing him up, and we're doing it pr- productive. Trust me. Everybody in this business have some, has somewhat of an ego. That That's just a fact. I'm not that vain about this thing. So someone else could do this job, I'm sure. But this state deserves the conversation. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, a couple other texters here on DEV. Not all of them about this topic. I actually missed a couple. Uh, Kyle in South Burlington says, uh... Oh, Kyle says, those Philly fans are not real fans. They're cowards. A real fan wants to beat their rival when their rival is 100% healthy. I agree with that, too. Kyle also says, I want an NBA where the best players are healthy come playoff time. So he's okay with load management. And that's fine. I just want you to be, I just want fans in general to be consistent. Right? I just want fans to be consistent. If fans are mad at everybody else for sitting, well, then don't be mad at Tatum for playing. Uh, unnamed texter. Brady, your show is fine the way it is. Don't change anything. Be yourself. Well, thank you. Uh, texter says, Brady, spot on. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Again, the call, the caller was smart, was assertive, was nice, was pleasant. wasn't bad. It just, you know, it was interesting. For someone who doesn't always get to talk to a co-host, it was nice to have a conversation there in the commercial break. Somebody else who deserves to have a conversation about them right now, that's the UVM women's basketball team. The Catamounts are rolling. 14-2 and two inside conference play, right? Winners of the America East Championship regular season. Catamounts beat Bryant by 23 on Saturday. They have earned the number one seed in the upcoming conference tournament. That game is going to be Wednesday night when they play Bryant again. The head coach of the Catamounts is Elisa Kresge. She's with us now. Elisa Thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well as well. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed. Wednesday's game is 5 o'clock. Now I can't go to it. Is that a typical start time for these first-round games, or is it solely to accommodate the fact that UVM women's hockey is also playing Wednesday? Yeah, it's it's exciting time for women's hockey and our program. So we kind of had to balance that out. So we got shifted a little bit earlier and they're a little bit later. So it's a good problem to have, actually. <laughs> it is a good problem for the university, for sure. And I heard Jim Plumer, the head coach of the women's hockey team, talking about your program a couple of days ago. Exciting time for women's athletics in Catamount Country in general. Absolutely. It's been incredible. Um, a lot of success across the athletic department and on the women's side over last year and this year. And it, it definitely is rubbing off on everybody and there's excitement, which is really fun to be around and part of. You know, I've said this for years now, and I don't know if you felt this as an athlete, but one of the things that has impressed me about UVM is that there does seem to be a lot of cross sport support. And I've said it a bunch of times. I was a college baseball player and one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't engage in that stuff. In fact, I found myself rooting against the other teams on campus a lot so our team could get more attention. And that doesn't seem to be happening at UVM. There does seem to be a lot of support. It does seem like a healthy time for the athletic department. Yeah, I think that's really, um, that's the culture here in Vermont and on campus is everybody wants the best for each other and they're rooting each other on, which is really a lot of fun. Um, obviously seeing what our men are doing, ice hockey's doing, obviously lacrosse is last year, soccer's this year, you know, it's just, it's really just fun culture to be around. And it's even better when you're doing it with everybody on the same page. So it's special. Um, and fortunately, that's the only way I've experienced it. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of this. You know, I've been in this business long enough now to know how this following question is going to go. I'm going to ask you to reflect on a season in which you finished 14 and two and have done a lot of growth. You're going to say, I'll worry about it when the season's over. It's been nice, but we still got more things in front of us. That's how this goes, right? No time to reflect yet. Absolutely. That's not my <laughs> job. The players are supposed to be enjoying it. And I'm supposed to do everything I can to do the, the worrying and make sure they're ready. <laughs> you yourself played in conference tournaments, played in NCAA tournaments. Do you draw on any of your own personal experience and stories and relay things to this team that's going through this particular scenario for the first time? Yeah, you know, um, I look back and think I was, man, I was really naive. Hmm. And I, I kind of hope our players are that way. Like, I just, you know, we played basketball, we had fun, we played hard. Like, I wasn't worried about anything. Um, and I think part of it, it was there wasn't so much social media out there. So I didn't hear about everything all the time. I didn't have to be perfect. Like, we made mistakes, but everybody was talking about it. Um, so a little bit of I hope our players are na naive and just sticking to what they do best and showing up and doing their job. And then I think of like, oh, man, the coaches took a lot on. And I didn't realize that as a player and credit to them to, you know, kind of shelter us from a lot of that noise. Um, so I'm, I'm reflecting on what the coaches did and how they set us up for success and trying to stimulate that in some ways and hope that our players just remember it's basketball and have a lot of fun with it. You don't get this back. So make the most of each opportunity, each possession, each game. You know, I might be naive in this, but I think the kind of prevailing narrative out there about teams in this spot in general is they haven't been the one seed before. That's going to come with pressure and they might be nervous. But then I'm thinking to myself, you've won 14 games in a row. You've been playing in this kind of pressure filled environment all season long. You start out 0-2 in the league and that's pressure. Then you go on a long winning streak and that's pressure. And then you go into the final day of the regular season with a chance to clinch it and that's pressure. So I don't think the pressure is going to get to your team. Am I naive or am I right in this, you think? 
I hope you're right. Yes. Uh, but to your point, I do think this team uh, early on, I thought the pressure got the best of us and worrying about stuff that was out of our control um, or worrying about an outcome that was 15 games down the road. Um, so I hope that we've learned from that. We're doing a lot of extra stuff off the court to help ourselves. Um, there is a mind game part of it, and that comes with the pressure as well. Um, so I, I hope you're right. Um, I hope we've learned a little bit in our experience. And you're right. There has been pressure all year long in this group, and they're managing it really impressively. Um, and we got to keep doing what we're doing best and keeping our head down and not worrying about things that we can't worry about. It has nothing to do with us. UVM women's basketball coach Elisa Kresge with us here on the Brady Farkas show. Her team top seed in the conference tournament Wednesday night. Patrick Jim, 5 o'clock against Bryant, a team they just played and just beat this past weekend. I, I was watching the game. I think it was two games ago. I think it was UMass Lowell, if I'm remembering correctly. And I was just really impressed with how good a passing team you have, right? Passing out of double teams, recognizing where the double's coming from, high, low, inside out, just really good fundamental basketball out of your team. Well, I appreciate you say that. I um, <laughs> I always think we can be better, you know. I'm always trying to get after them to to understand the game a little bit better and have that feel. But I agree. We do share the ball really well. Um, and I think what it comes down to is they trust each other and they really are a close-knit group. So they have that that instinct of where each other's going to be. Um, so I do think we share the ball well and it's been impressive. And as, as coach, we always want to be a little bit better. So there's those <laughs> things we can get better at. And you're starting to get really good depth contributions as well, right? We talked last year as your team was ascending, and the question was, you rely heavily on your starters. How do you get other people involved? And your team's still led by its starters, but you are starting to get, you know, I think in that UMass World game, it was nine points from Paula Gonzalez and three of three from three. You're starting to get some of that, and you want that headed towards the tournament. Yeah, I do think we've had some really good sparks off the bench this year. Players that I think come in and, you know, the pace doesn't change. The offense, the defensive mindset doesn't change. Um, and I think that's been really important. That's been important for Kat at the point to get her breathers. Anna, I mean, she's battling on both sides, Delaney. Um, and I think they're able to be their best when they have some of those real breaks. Um, and players that we trust to come in and continue to help us elevate the game. Um, and to your point, Paula coming off the bench, Maria coming off the bench, Ari, uh, you know, Carla, we, those four have been incredible for us and in helping us get even better than where we were last year. You know, I can't speak to what the other universities support is like for women's basketball, but I can tell you that I worked at UAlbany for three years and I did radio in Albany for the first three years of my career. And women's basketball at Albany is a big deal. So how important is it to have the number one seed, have the regular season title and have your conference tournament be able to run through Patrick Jim, as opposed to having to do it on the road where there are some pretty good fan bases out there. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than playing at home in Catamount Country and Patrick with our fans. There's nothing better. Um, they've been incredible. The, the atmosphere was awesome the other night. Um, we're going to need that because you mentioned it. There will be nerves. That's natural. That means you care and, you know, you're passionate. Um, and we need them to help us get through some probably tough possessions, tough quarters. Um, so we're excited that we get to play at home. We had Emma Utterback on three weeks ago or so, and she mentioned what a big Indiana basketball fan she was growing up. And that was a great honor for her to play there this year in your guys' opening game. So what's the bigger emotion today? Is Emma happier that you're the one seed or upset that they lost at the buzzer yesterday against Iowa? Oh, that's a good, that's a great question. You know what? <laughs> she worked so hard about, you know, trying to get this program where it's at that I think she's taken on uh, the Vermont 
being the number one seed is is the way to go today. <laughs> I am curious though, like I've I've always kind of wondered that kids grow up fans of programs. Do they stay fans of programs even when they're in college? Like I know it's yeah, she wants to beat Indiana if they were going to play them. But, like, do you still rock Indiana clothing when you're in – I don't know. Does, how does that work? You know what? I, I think that Indiana pride is pretty strong. So I do think they rock Indiana outside of Vermont. But we played them this year, and, man, did Emma take that game personally. Yeah, and that was a great – I was listening to Caitlin Clark earlier today. She was on the Dan Patrick Show talking what a shot she hit. Women's basketball in general is always well played, but here towards the end of the season with a bigger magnifying glass on the sport, you know, in general, pretty good stuff here towards conference tournament time. Man, it's exciting. It's really fun to watch as a coach, as a fan. It's been awesome. And those shots, like, just bringing more excitement around the game. What, What more could you ask for? Well, a lot. More. I'm asking for a conference title out of UVI. That's what I'm asking for. So, but we got to go one step at a time in Coach Speaks. So, Wednesday night against Bryant, that's going to be a five o'clock tip off at Patrick Jim and Elisa Kresge with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. I feel like I started a little bit of a firestorm a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if this has gotten back to you, but it's gotten around the other local media outlets. I asked Emma. If you were playing two-on-two in a mixed tournament with the men's team, who would your teammate be? And she said either uh, Aaron Deloney or Finn Sullivan. Then I had Matt Verretto on, and he picked Catherine Gilwey. So I don't know if the, if the teams are talking about this amongst themselves, but I feel like I started a bit of a social media firestorm. It was the best question I've ever asked. <laughs> I was actually thinking, man, I, I'm glad nobody asked me that. Like <laughs> Well, I paired, them, I paired them all up, and I don't have my list in front of me anymore, but uh, – I think Finn Sullivan and Emma Utterback would be a good team. And the reason why it's a good question is because you're not picking who you think the, quote, best player is. You're picking who plays well off of you. So it gives people to think about. But uh, I think an Emma Utterback-Finn Sullivan team would be pretty formidable in a, in a mixed two-on-two tournament. Talk about competitors, man. <laughs> I would love to be on the other side of those two. <laughs> question now we'll ask you, which assistant coach do you want to run with in a two-on-two? Which men's assistant coach do you want to run with in a two-on-two tournament? Well, I'm going to have to go with Schneider. I was a passer. He's a shooter. I think we yeah. balance each other out. <laughs> uh, that, that would have been the logical pairing for me as well. So, Coach, congratulations on a great regular season. Hopefully, we know there's at least one more game to play. Hopefully, at least uh, three or four more beyond that. So, it's been a fun ride so far, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what happens on Wednesday night. Oh, we appreciate it. Thanks for all the support. Absolutely. The UVM women's basketball team, if you are not on board, get on board now, really. I mean, this is a great story in a lot of different ways, right? 14 wins in a row is a great story. No matter what you win 14 games in a row, that's a great story. You get the number one seed in the conference tournament for the first time in what are we 20 years? I think 20 years. It's a number one seed for Vermont women's basketball. They beat Bryant for a final of 64 to 41 and make it 14 straight victories in America East play. All right, that clip didn't have it, but nonetheless, maybe it's not 20 years, but it's a long time. Cats haven't been in the tournament in more than a decade. So this is a great run, and it's also just a great run of perseverance. Look at what UVM women's basketball has been through. They haven't been particularly good for a long time. Then 2020, they start to turn it around. They're playing pretty well. And then the season, they they opt out because of COVID. It was too difficult for them, too difficult to navigate. So they opt out, and, and part of their growth gets cut. And then last year, they come back, and they get 20, 20 wins again. 
for the first time in forever. And they get to the conference semifinals, I think. And now this year, you start out 0-2, real adversity, and you come back and you're in the conference tournament as the number one seed. You got it on your home floor. It is a great story. And I really do think that UVM is not going to feel pressure in this. Again, the U, the, the America East Women's Conference is very, very good. It is deeper than the men's. Well, I don't know that it's deeper. It's more of an anybody can win kind of thing, right? UVM could win. Albany can win. Maine can win. All three of them are really good. So I can't promise you that UVM is going to win it. But I don't think they're going to feel pressure. 0-2 is pressure. 14 straight is pressure. Playing for the for the top seed on the last day of the regular season, that's pressure. I don't think they're going to feel pressure. They may play poorly. They may lose. Another team like Albany may beat them. That can happen, but I don't think it's going to be because they're just too nervous. They, they've dealt with pressure all year. They are a fun team. They are a good story, and you should get involved. I really wish I could go to the game on Wednesday. I can't because it's at 5 o'clock. I may sneak over to the UVM women's hockey game at 7.30 after our show, but I really wish I could go to this game, and I can't. Um, I just heard from Ty in Canada, who I haven't heard from on the text line since June of 2021, but he's one of my longest-running texters. Ty, I don't know where the hell you've been, but I'm happy you're back. Because Ty in Canada is always one of the uh, more fun texters out there. It's been two years since I heard from him. A year and a half since I heard from him. Welcome back, Ty over in Canada. I am off tomorrow. Had this plan for a while. So Lee Cattell is going to be in for me tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. Lee's great. So have some fun with him. Uh, I'll be back at it on Wednesday, though. High school basketball comes up at 8 o'clock today. It's North Country and Harwood. Sandwich between me and that. Jazz with George Thomas next here on DEV.